Good morning. Did you know that the most important thing about you is that God loves you? He loved you to the cross and back. And part of his great love is that he gives you a life that matters. You never have to wonder, do I matter? Do I count? You are number one in God's book. And he gives you opportunities every day to live a life beyond yourself. I like to call it a legacy life. This is Sue Donaldson. As you listen today, ask God, show me how to spend today investing in people and your word, because both last forever. There's no better way to live. Do you know any difficult people? You know what I'm talking about. You don't need to send me the list of their names. I have my own list. (laughs) I first wrote about how to deal with difficult people without moving to Australia. You probably are aware of that child's book. And I first wrote about it a long time ago for the Joyful Life magazine. And guess what? Just writing about it didn't make all my difficult people go away. And I imagine I'm on lots of people's lists as a difficult person for them to love and get along with. I do love people. You probably know that about me especially the lovable ones. I think I love people well until I come across a difficult person. A while back, I got a text. Hi, Sue, we're moving back to town. Do you know any good places to rent? Oh, no, I thought. I thought, oh, I guess I don't really love like God loves because my first reaction was, oh, no. Of all people, not my town, not our neighborhood, I replied, honestly, rentals are few and far between. And I put it out of my mind. (laughs) I have a secret drawer and it's labeled, I don't like you very much. It's not a very big drawer, but this person fit right in. Patty, which is not her real name because it's a secret drawer, (laughs) annoyed me. The ultimate victim, Patty talked too much. She broadcasted wild notions, and she whined. I mean, really. She's an adult. Do we still whine? Well, yes, I think I'm whining right now. And as if that weren't enough, she had visited our church years before, and she let it be known that she couldn't stomach the sermon. She was not my favorite person. And we had worked together briefly. And now I was more than happy that our paths no longer crossed. Maybe you also keep a private list, very private, (laughs) of those who best not be named. And you pray that you never see them again. Even worse, you work alongside of them, or much, much worse, you're related to them. The funny thing is none of our secrets are secret to God. You know that. The other funny thing, I guess it's not very funny, is that he's got a plan for how we deal with with our difficult people. It's all through scripture. What can we do? Pretend that they no no longer bother us? Do we change locations? Do we speak the truth in love every single time? And the truth is, we don't like them and we would love it if they would just leave us alone. It's not very convenient to move to Australia to join Alexander on his no good, very bad day or month or year caused by a no good, not so pleasant, irritating victim person. 
but it doesn't stop us wishing we could be on the next plane. Now, what makes a difficult person difficult? I'm sure it's different for different people. Patty has her own set of admirers. I just wasn't one of them, which goes to show what irritates one person may endear them to another. Case in point, my husband Mark was raised in the Midwest by a family who doesn't use many words in general. The Donaldsons value humility. However, the Moore tribe, my family of origin, values biblical humility as well. But we love to revel in each other's gifts and talents. You can find my sisters and brothers announcing their latest achievement, blog, painting, recipe, gardening trick, and I'll chime in to celebrate. Aren't we grand? The folks must be so proud. Although we get a kick out of family reveling, Mark sort of rolls his eyes as he hears something else and wonders what he's gotten himself into. What I enjoy, he's irritated by. Defining difficult can depend on our family of origin. And once we understand those differences, we can begin to deal with others a bit easier, give a little more grace, even laugh at ourselves instead of demanding change the sooner the better. You've heard this expression, and it's so true. Hurt people hurt people. Think about it. I forget that fact when I'm the object of that hurt. My daughter received bad news and asked for some counsel, but whatever I said set wrong, and she let me know, which hurt me. We stayed in this cycle of, you hurt me, now I hurt you, for maybe 24 hours or so. I realized later that she spoke and she acted out of her original hurt, the bad news. And I was the safe person to receive it. This was an honor, but it was an honor I did not relish. I remembered I behaved the same way with my mom. A hurting person often shows her prickly side to the one she feels most loved by. Does that make it any less difficult? I don't think so. Sometimes even more painful. Blood is thicker than water, and we want all our blood relations to treat us with love and respect. This is what I know. Understanding cultivates compassion, which leads to love. I wish I had taken time to wait patiently alongside my daughter in her hurt. To ask, can I help? Or simply, I love you and I'm praying for you. I reacted instead of considered what she actually needed, which was support, not instruction. To say less is wisdom, as Proverbs seventeen twenty seven reads, here it is, a truly wise person uses few words. A person with understanding is even-tempered. That's from the New Living Translation. When someone acts out from their pain, it makes them difficult to be around. But I make it worse. I compound the difficulty by reacting instead of responding. I imagine you might be able to identify with that. I need to push pause on my lips and take a lesson from Job's friends who were better friends when they kept silent. Once they began talking, it became worse. 
I can relate to that. When difficult people lash out, I want to listen with my heart, not just my ears. I want to be able to think, I wonder what's really going on to make her act that way. Was there something in his past that's causing this behavior? When I take that time to stop and ponder, I'm heading, I'm beginning to head down the path of understanding and compassion and love all around. Now, are there degrees of difficulty in people and does that matter? We should be experts dealing with difficult people because in one way or another, everyone is difficult. We work or live alongside those who talk too much, snore too loudly, whine too often, complain too regularly, don't clean up enough, or clean up too much. It's the two that's the problem, T-O-O. The degree of the irritation makes the difference, or maybe about how much sleep we haven't had to. We all do things that irritate. What shifts the common annoyance to unbearable aggravation is magnitude and frequency. The older we get, I think we can handle a little bit of annoyance, but we can't endure a lot. And the difficult person is one who doesn't grasp that he or she has crossed the boundary. He's gone too far. He's spoken out of turn too many times. There's that too. He's moved from annoying to the difficult. And when you throw in bad-tempered or impatient or manipulative or selfish, you've got the human race in a nutshell. How do we respond when it becomes all too much? Do we let things go? We pretend it's okay, peace at any cost, and move on? Or do we just move out? Some do, you know. They go along for a good long time, and then boom, time's up. They walk out. Suddenly, it seems, with only the scent of hurt lingering mingled with resentment left behind. They just leave. They can't take it any longer. How can we prevent this from happening to us and in us, where we would be the one who walks out? Praise the Lord, God's Word presents principles of how to get along and tell glory. It's up to us to put them into practice. One principle I encountered early in our marriage is Paul's exhortation in Ephesians 4.15. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him. Now, I was an English major, a teacher, a writer, and a lecturer. I had the speaking the truth part down. I knew how to speak the truth. My uh, spiritual gift was even exhortation, or is. But it wasn't until my man in plaid pushed buttons I didn't know I had that I realized I only knew half the formula. The whole formula is in Ephesians 4.15. Half formulas cause more problems than none. I spoke the truth, believe me. I spoke the truth, but I forgot the love. Paul's words drilled deep into my soul while I repented, confessed, repented again, because, of course, it happened more than once. I'm so grateful, though. 
I was reading a magazine article about marriage really early on in our marriage. And that's the verse that the writer was talking about. It helped me so much, continues to help me. That's what scripture does, you know. It grows down deep into our souls if we let it. Cultivating a grown-up relationship with your most beloved may include painstaking prayers for wisdom and love, for timing and tone. I still pray those prayers. I remember a friend, uh, her name is Elizabeth McQueen, and she was telling me a story. She was over at my house for tea, and she said, you know, my husband, Randy, he accidentally used his weed whacker and completely decimated a whole row of brand new sweet peas that I had painstakingly grown from the seed. And my reaction was, oh no, Elizabeth, did you get mad? And she said, oh no, oh no. She said, the words that I would have said in anger would have lasted a whole lot longer than just being quiet and showing love to my beloved. Much longer than it would take to grow another row of sweet peas. She was in the process of speaking the truth in love, because I'm sure she told them, oops, let's don't do that again. <laughs> On the other hand, when we keep an issue to ourselves, and we take the tack of suck it up, buttercup, Things smooth over only temporarily, but could lead to bigger issues. Let's say Randy kept doing that to all her flowers. You'd wonder why. If she just kept silent, she might just really blow up someday. <clears throat> the long-suffering friend can explode. Maybe you've been that exploding long-suffering friend or wife or spouse. After being treated with disrespect one too many times. A husband might come home to an empty house, completely blindsided by a spouse who never gave words to her deep hurt. Suffering in silence is not biblical. I'm going to say that again. Suffering in silence is not biblical, nor is let it all hang out. I long for a godly balance between forbearance and speaking in love. But often it feels like it's two steps forward and three steps back. Besides common aggravations, there are, lim are there limits to what we should endure when loving confrontation falls on deaf ears and hard hearts? What can we do when someone maintains insufferable opinions, engages in character assassination, or threatens bodily harm? I mean, really? Do we tolerate all behavior in the name of love your enemies and obedience to a perceived higher standard? Listen, the simple answer is no, no, no. If you are in those kinds of relationships, you need to get help. You may have to leave. You certainly need to create boundaries. Dr. Dobson calls this tough love. I call it common sense. When entrenched in a toxic relationship, it may be difficult to see that you need help because you're just so used to it. But I want you to listen to godly friends. They may see something that you don't even see. Get good counsel 
As the wisdom writer said, without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs 15, 22. Degrees of difficulty in difficult people do matter. Do matter. On the one hand, we need to exercise patience and kind words. But on the other end of the spectrum, extreme behavior warrants firm and healthy and maybe extreme boundaries. Do ask for the help you need. I know of some local counselors. <clears throat> if you are local and you are experiencing this where you're not sure where the boundaries need to be drawn, please email me, sue at welcomeheart.com, and I will direct you to someone who can be a great listener and help you define those boundaries. The Bible does offer simple practices to help us with our difficult people. In Proverbs 25, 24, we read, It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Now, during our nation's shelter-in-place ruling, I can only imagine the race to find more corners on more housetops because we were stuck together for so long. Yet God has a purpose for close quarters, which can bring out our worst before he works in his best. Sometimes we don't even know we're harboring these resentments until we're thrown together for too long of a time. <clears throat> and God's just been waiting for me to say, Lord, I need help here. And he goes, yeah, I know you do. I've been waiting for you to ask me. A few simple practices follow. I will just tell you just a few. I'm no expert and I'm not a therapist. I've just lived life. These are to help us love well and to live peacefully. Number one, know your limits. Does loving someone mean you need to spend all your time with them? My mom would say this, we are coming for three days. Remember the saying, after three days, fish and visitors stink? I appreciated mom's candor. When I'm the guest, I have more control over how long I'm around the person I love, but find difficult to be around. <clears throat> That's usually a relative. To mitigate hurt feelings, I may give options in advance. Hi, I'm coming to visit. I can stay Monday and Tuesday unless Tuesday and Wednesday would work better for you. You see how I've set up those boundaries. You've presented your boundary. They get to give input, which makes them feel better. And if they still try to manipulate the time, at least you provided them an opportunity to accept the facts. Nope, I can come Monday or Tuesday, or I can come Tuesday or Wednesday, which works better for you. Number two, recognize your triggers. If you know your dad will repeat the same old story about the time you failed algebra, be ready with a response to recalibrate the conversation and send it in a different direction. When you know you're going to be visiting a difficult person and that they're going to bring up something that's hurtful, think about it in advance so that the trigger doesn't go the wrong way. <clears throat> you could say something like, Dad, that was so long ago. I'm glad I made it through. Now, how have you been? Rather than, would you please stop bringing that up? Who cares about algebra anyway? Can't you think of something good that I've done? Your difficult person may become more difficult the older they get. At the same time, we need to become more grace-filled the older they get and ask God for creativity and for tact and, and a creative way to redirect a conversation that could be embarrassing for them as well. 
Number three, do your part. There's the classic book, Boundaries, by Henry Cloud and John Townsend, and it offers this good counsel. We always need to forgive, but we don't always achieve reconciliation. That's biblical. To forgive may be our, our part, but we can't control the response. Romans 12, 18 bids me to live in peace as much as I can. If possible, the verse goes, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Live peaceably with all depends on two parties, doesn't it? And one may not want a party in peace. Focusing on my attitude and actions is my job. Taking responsibility for the results isn't my job. I'm going to say that again. Focusing on my attitude and actions is my job. But taking responsibility for the results isn't. I must leave the outcome in God's capable hands. Next, speak the truth, but not right away. Speaking truth tenderly takes courage and empathy. And again, a good night's sleep, perhaps. Someone said, confronting someone should hurt you as much as it could possibly hurt her. Listen to that again. When you're ready to confront someone, do you visualize how that's going to hurt that person? And if so, do you really empathize with how that hurts you to be able to have to tell them this thing? Once I asked the Lord how best to confront a friend who had misjudged me. Don't you hate being misjudged? I think that's one of the biggest hurts between friends and family. So I asked the Lord, how do I confront her? She hurt me. Now, by the time I finished praying, God showed me I had some issues he wanted changing. Funny how that works. Now, I still thought I might bring it up. But before I got around to saying something, I had forgotten what it was all about. God was working on my heart. Some conversations don't need to take place, especially when we begin with prayer. God will show us when and how and even if. Take the long view. When your 13-year-old acts out, try and recall your junior high angst. Ask your mother to help you remember. You might have a good laugh together, and you'll give your teen some slack as she navigates her tempest of emotions. Then place a robust promise in your mind and heart like Philippians 1.6. And I'm sure of this, Paul wrote, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Faith in God means I believe God is working whether or not I see anything yet. So take the long view. Next, forbear like God forbears. Now, I love that old-fashioned word for patience, forbearance. We find it in Colossians 3.13. Forbearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another... Even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. That's the old King James Version. My sister Lori said this, Forbearance is putting up with more than you are due, or that you think you are due. <laughs> I'm glad she added the caveat. Forbearance is putting up with more than you are due, or that you think you are due. The thing is, we want everyone to forbear with us, but we forget to forbear with everyone else. In the end, I can't argue with Paul's reasoning. Christ forgave me. I must do the same. 
It's simple to teach the golden rule, but our kids learn best by how we show grace and love, whether or not it's their due. We need to be the leaders in forbearance, especially when our kids are around watching us. Next, we pray for wisdom. God will answer my plea for wisdom as we read in James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. When someone gets under my skin or rubs me the wrong way, I need to start with this no-excuse prayer, Lord, give me wisdom. Instead of, Lord, tell that person what an idiot they are and how they hurt me. Nope, I need to start Lord, give me wisdom. It's short, it's to the point, and it keeps me from a world of trouble of my own making. Last, recall how God loves you. When I think how I've grieved God and hurt others, I'm well on my way to loving the difficult person. Two prayers help me. First, Lord, show me my sin. Next, Show me what lesson you have to teach me through this challenging relationship. I'll repeat that. Two prayers. First, Lord, show me my sin. Next, show me what lesson you have to teach me through this challenging relationship. You might want to add, and I pray that it will continue to be challenging until I learn what lesson you have to teach me. That takes courage to pray that and faith. When God answers, my focus moves from the other person to God's ongoing work in me. The iconic Proverbs 27.17 reminds me, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Now, I don't like ironing in general, but I like the results of ironing. When God uses someone to help shave off some of my rough edges, it's painful but I do love the results. It's really a matter of perspective. Living peacefully with others is a matter of perspective. What do I mean? Well, right before I married, I asked my sister for advice. I spoke frankly. I said, Lori, how do you deal with Leonard's idiosyncrasies? Now we love Leonard. He is a singular genius. We adore him. She knew exactly what I meant, and she was not offended. Leonard is one who does his devotions in the, in the language of Hebrew. I mean, he's so brilliant. He is a hobby botanist. He knows all the plants and trees. And he knows something about every subject known to man. He really is a genius. So parts of, parts of those things are idiosyncrasies. And she knows it, and she knew what I was talking about. I said, so how do you deal with Leonard's idiosyncrasies? Because I'm also about to marry a very genius type man with idiosyncrasies. And this is how she's answered. And I've never forgotten it. And I've passed along her wisdom. Well, Sue, she began, one of three things will happen. First, his idiosyncrasies will no longer bother you. Isn't that the truth? Well, I've been married 35 years. I can't even remember what used to bother me about Mark. Secondly, she said, they will become the stuff of family legend. That's really true. And we laugh about things, especially when the kids are home. Oh, well, you know, dad, this is how he deals with things. We laughed about something yesterday 
Bonnie and my oldest Bonnie was going over the different types of clothing that she and Mark are taking on their hike to the base of Mount Everest. By this time that comes out, this comes out, they might be in the middle of that hike. So please pray for them. But anyway, they're showing uh, different clothes and Bonnie's checking that her dad has the right clothing. <laughs> and he kept saying, I'm going to be plenty warm. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be plenty warm. I'm going to be fine. Well, you know, because he's from Iowa. I've been in cold weather before. Of course, not at that altitude. I don't think Iowa has mountains. But it, it's kind of the stuff of family legend. Things that used to irritate you about someone, they become um, actually lovable. So first, his idiosyncrasies will no longer bother you. Secondly, they will become the stuff of family legend. And then three, she said, they will still bother you. <laughs> that made me laugh. I love that reality check. The most valiant prince of a person has faults. In close relationships, we get front row seats to view how he or she grows out of them or not. When they don't, when they don't, what do we do? We draw on God's mercy to help us forbear and to forgive. And we pray once again, Lord, give me wisdom. And Patty and her family, they did move here. And they came for Christmas Eve, soup potluck. We did not go to Australia. Let me know in comments which one of these tips you've experienced or that you would like to start applying right now for those difficult people in your life. And you don't need to tell me their names, but I'd be happy to pray for you if you send me a little email. Sue at welcomeheart.com. How to deal with difficult people without moving to Australia. It's kind of expensive to go there anyway. Thanks and have a great day. Until next time, think about your legacy, the one God has called you to live, all for heaven's sake. I would love to speak at your next Christian Women's event. See my keynotes and retreat series, as well as the show notes from today's broadcast at welcomeheart.com. Thanks for coming. You're always welcome here.